And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, but I don't have to tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always, out west, Anthony Slater out east, Fred Katz also out west, friend of the show, fantastic Blazers beat writer, legend Jason Quick. My guy, what's up, sir? How are you? I'm hanging in there, Sam. Aren't we all, Jay? Aren't we all? Like, that's the mantra of this era, hanging in there. So inspiring. Yeah, light at the end of the tunnel though. I'm uh I've become fully vaccinated at the end of this week, so I'm looking yes. forward to that. Yeah. Producer Andrew Schleck, can we get some applause produced into this this part of the show? That's amazing. Yeah, I had my uh my second shot on Wednesday. Uh came through it okay. Um a little bit of aches, a little bit of fatigue, but all in all, uh feeling uh, like the superpowers are, are kicking in. Did you uh did you have an okay experience? I did. I, I was just a little fatigued. Uh, you know, it was funny. I was getting my shot and my phone pinged and it was when uh, LaMarcus Aldridge retired. Ah. And so uh, I will always associate getting my second shot with LaMarcus retiring. Well, and not surprisingly, as always, even with uh, that context, you, you, you penned a fantastic column on LaMarcus and his legacy with the Blazers and how complicated that was. Um, you know, listen, you you know you're more than welcome to jump on this show anytime, but today where my head was at was I, I just wanted to to pick your brain about the Blazers and all things Portland within the context of the play-in tournament and the playoffs. Um, you know, we, we joked before jumping on the air today that Slater and Katz have become the two uh, athletic representatives of, of kind of the East-West play-in teams with, you know, the Warriors playing good ball, Steph Curry trying to get that scoring title and then out east you know bradley beal trying to say something about it and, and the wizards fred nine in a row what in the hell is going on well eight, eight in a row heading into monday let's uh is it eight now let's Am let's see what happens on monday night oh shoot i'm sorry it's eight in a row it's nine in a row for the knicks so That's so the wizards are gonna have to try try their best to get past the knicks but it's uh it's wild they're they're defending if you ask me who's playing well the answer is everybody Westbrook's playing his best basketball of the year Beal is just kind of dropping a very efficient 30 points every single night they Bertans is absolutely on fire Robin Lopez can't miss a hook shot Gafford has been an unbelievable pickup for them it's uh it's crazy they are they have they were 17 and 32 and <laughs> They're now 27 and 33. They've won 10 of their last 11. I mean, that doesn't really happen when you're 15 under, but I don't know. It's been such a weird season. Why shouldn't more weird stuff happen? No doubt. No doubt. Before we shift to Portland, let me, let me break down kind of the overall landscape for the listeners. And and like I said, um, you know, once we get through the Blazers chatter, we're going to talk about everybody involved here, but out East Fred mentioned it. his, his wizards are currently in 10th place heading into Monday. Um, you know, there are a couple games up on Chicago and Toronto who are not out of the mix. So you have the race to get into the play-in tournament out east with 12 teams uh, still playing for something. And then, like we talked about last week, guys, you have this secondary race that matters a lot, too, the teams that want to stay out of the play-in tournament. So the, the Celtics currently tied 
with Miami at the six and seven spot. You know, you you got Charlotte and Indiana kind of jammed in between. That's the the landscape in the East. In the West, uh, for all intents and purposes, we we have our play-in crew. Nobody, you know, the Warriors aren't going to fall down to New Orleans, which is now four and a half games behind them in 11th. So you've got this pretty clear delineation with Jason Quick's Blazers in the seventh spot, a game and a half up on Dallas at six, followed by Memphis, San Antonio, and the Warriors. So, um, Jay, we debated last week the play-in in general and just – different opinions on it. I like it. I think cats didn't like it. I think Slater. Did I have that right, Freddie? Where did you land on it? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. Right. And so, but we'll kind of get past that, you know, but Portland, uh, as you know, better than anybody did not intend or hope to be part of this play in debate and discussion. They, you know, Damian Lillard a few weeks ago, um, had shed light on this and the idea that, okay, at that time their record was in a good place, but let's not, um, Let's not mess with the plan tournament. Let's start beating these good teams. They had a terrible record against the elite teams. And I loved at the time, like his candor, like always. And he basically said, like, we are showing that we are not good enough. The tough part is that, my God, ever since he kind of made that declaration, they've fallen off a cliff. He's dealing with injuries. Uh, I think they've lost five in a row at this point. Um, what What's kind of the state of affairs in Portland? Well, it's, it's really kind of sad um, because it feels like, this is going to be the end of an era. Um, you know, Stotts, Lillard, Olshay, they've been together for nine years. And I think everyone can see the writing on the wall that, that something's not right. Something's not working. You know, there's no progression and no hope really that, that this team can advance. And it's really been uh, magnified this year. You know, they're two and 12 in their last 14 against teams with winning records. And those wins are a one-point win against San Antonio and a one-point win against Miami that was playing without Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic and four other guys who were just traded uh, the day before. So they have not shown anything <laughs> that's encouraging. You know, their defense is still 29th in the league. They kept saying after the All-Star break, we're going to refocus and we're going to be a top half team. Well, they're 27th since the All-Star break. Okay, we'll wait till we get Nurkic and Norm in the starting Norman Powell in the starting lineup. We'll be better. Well, they're 24th in the league in defense, so they aren't playing well. And of all the teams that are in the playoff race right now, they're they're playing the worst. So I don't see it getting better. And I think of their 12 remaining games, nine are against teams with winning records. And I think at the core of their problem is is Damian Lillard right now. He he like kind of rescued them early in the season too. He kind of masked what was a play-in team because I remember there was a time where the Raptors were 10 games under 500 with a positive net rating because they had just lost a bunch of close games mm-hmm. um, and then blown a bunch of teams out. And Portland, I think, was 10 games over 500 with a negative net rating. So it was like this idea that they were like this awesome mid-tier, what you know, like four, five seed that now is stumbling is kind of I assume really not true it's just Lillard had just pulled how many you know wins out of his hat early in the season that made it look it was almost like he masked what really was a struggling 29th uh, in the league defense and now that what you're saying like he's not right it's showing how like uncorrected everything is below them. Um, but beyond him, what would you say, you know, obviously, you know, part of the defensive issues are the personnel problems. You're playing Cantor and, and Carmelo off the bench together. It doesn't seem like the Robert Covington uh, trade has, has, you know, solidified the wing as much as they would like. And then, you know, I, I think Nurkic obviously being out, like, where are you on the defense? Like, can they, can they, do you even believe it's possible for them to get to a reasonable level? I had hope earlier, but like I said, you know, since Nurkic has been back in the lineup and, and Nurk is so important to this team and, and really only until this weekend, this weekend was the first time that he has really shown signs of kind of returning to the old Nurk. He, he had a, two very good games against Memphis, um, both offensively and defensively. But no, I, I don't have great hope that that they can play even just competent defense because they haven't shown it yet. We're 60 games in. And, you know, Covington has been very good for them, but he's not a great on-ball defender. Where they're really hurt is they were banking a lot on Derek Jones Jr. 
Terry Stotts hardly even plays more. He's averaging around, you know, 13 minutes a game, 13, 15 minutes a game now. So there, this is the worst transition defense team I've ever seen. Uh, the amount of easy buckets that this team allows is, is just alarming. And then they have a, a real trouble stopping penetration and that leads to all kinds of breakdowns. So I don't see it getting better. Uh, they're going to have to win by outscoring people. And you're right, Anthony, that Lillard really masked a lot of deficiencies early. I mean, they were 21 and seven in, in clutch games. And a lot of that was uh, Lillard coming through in, in the final two minutes with just some ridiculous play. He was shooting like 60% in, in clutch time minutes and leading the NBA in scoring in clutch minutes, uh, hit a couple game winners. So he carried them and, and now it's all kind of uh, averaging out. Yeah, it does. It does almost feel like a regression to the mean because because yeah. you look back three weeks ago or so and they're like coming close to pacing to set a record for outplaying your net rating by the most games you possibly can. They were right at like a five. Their net rating had them at like right at a 500 team pretty much for basically the entire first 45, 50 games of the year. And now all of a sudden, if you look at the last 11 games, they've lost nine out of 11. It's actually gone the other way. They're they're better. Their net rating says they should be better than two and nine over that stretch. And it's it's like artistic the way that it's evening out because they've lost some close games over this stretch too, right? <laughs> Fred, you uh, should jump on a Zoom with Terry Stotts and ask him if the last eleven games feels artistic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that would go great. He'd be he'd be thrilled. He seems like he'd totally have a sense of humor about it. Jason, Fred mentioned the, the the kind of the teeter-totter element of the past few weeks um, and not to hit the fast forward button too much, but I, I definitely want your perspective on the what if hypothetical here, uh, if this trend continues the way things have gone of late and whether it's Terry Stott's future, which you wrote about recently and, you know, just in good detail about the pressure that is on him and the very possible, you know, maybe even likely scenario that, that he could be out this offseason depending on how things go to to hear I forget the way you phrased it right out the gate today which is that it's it's just kind of a worst case scenario and it and feels like the end of an era how far does that go you know we have the main principles here in Terry and Damian and CJ and and then on the side you have Norm Powell who you know you had an amazing piece recently about the way the Blazers had welcomed him into Portland you know with the hopes that he would want to resign in free agency this summer but when teams don't play well it, the ripple effect can be, you know, disastrous and can, you know, kind of take the entire plan off the table. Uh, where do you see this going if, if things don't get better? Well, there, I, I think the franchise is definitely at a crossroads this off season. And I think it's going to be really hard for Terry Stotts to survive this. Um, you know, this is back to back years where they've been one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. And, you know, nine years in the NBA is a long time to be a coach. And he has one Western Conference Finals appearance during which he was swept to show for it. And I think after a while, you just have to ask, you know, can he take this team to the next level? I think he's been given that chance. And I think they, they invested so much on improving their defense this year, and it just hasn't translated. So I'm not sure that... Uh, Terry survives this. And then, you know, from a roster standpoint, you're really looking at some tough decisions because they want to re-sign Norm. And, but then you're looking at Lillard, McCollum, and Powell. You're going to be paying them. You know, I think Lillard makes 41 next year. CJ's up around 31. Norm's probably going to command, I don't know, 17, 20 million. I mean, when they traded for him, the word coming out of Toronto was that, you know, his target was in the 20 range. So I think it's yeah. close there. So that's a lot of money to a small three guard lineup. Uh, can that win, can that win in today's NBA? I don't know. Um, you know, so then you, you start looking at, does Neil Olshay look at a CJ McCollum trade? He's been very reluctant to even consider trading CJ McCollum. Uh, he loves CJ, CJ and Dame. Obviously it's, it's well known how well they get along and how well they play off each other. Uh, they are 
the foundation of this team's culture and how they do business. Um, so there's some really, really tough questions ahead for this franchise. And uh, I don't know which way they're going to go. Before we move on to a few of the other teams, I, and this is a weird one to highlight because the team you cover, unfortunately, is playing so poorly. But that takes that that doesn't take away from the fact that as we sit here as four guys who work pretty hard to try to cover the league in, in a unique way and and pull the curtain back on these players and these coaches, and, and you've done such a great job of that for so many years. Jay, you're, all the years I've been reading you, your Norm Powell piece was, was up there, and that's saying something considering your resume. Um, I wanted to ask you, briefly about from the writing side and, and you can kind of, you know, mix the basketball talk into this as well, but you already hit on it. Norm comes to town at the time things are going okay. They want him to upgrade what they're doing. But as I read your piece on Norm, the thing that struck me is that we have all been trying to cover this game remotely and and it mm-hmm. has been tougher than ever to get access. You can't walk with a guy down the hallway anymore. You can't do things casually in person and I'm reading this story thinking to myself, my goodness, this can't, you know, you got this thing done in fairly short order after the trade went down, talked to his relatives, got a level of trust out of Norm himself when, you know, he's opening doors to his family and sharing his story. The depth and the work that went into that thing, paint a picture for us a little bit about how you pulled it off. And, and I do, I wonder even with all the different things you've done in terms of storytelling, you know, was this one unique? Oh, uh, I don't know how I pulled it off. <laughs> um, I look as any writer knows, um, you can only work with what your subject gives you. And I'm, I'm so thankful to Norman for opening up. Um, you know, I told him when I, when I started that the first interview with him that, Hey, I don't want this to be just a regular story. I, I, I tend to want, to know you as a person. I want to know what makes you, you. And so I tried to set a tone early that, Hey, this isn't going to be, you know, talking about basketball lineups and, you know, your future and all that. I I want to know your history. And he thankfully was um, very open to that. And, you know, you're right though, Sam, like I still have yet to meet, Norman Powell. He has no idea what I look like. Right. And, yeah, no rapport. Yeah. Right. Uh, but one great thing that happened was in our first interview, they were, the team was in Utah and, you know, you can't go, NBA players can't go anywhere now. So he was basically on lockdown in his hotel room and had nothing else to do. So I, I feel like I had his undivided attention for an hour and that opened up a lot of doors and uh did you start from him and work out jay in terms of the reporting yeah yep yep uh you know asked permission to to talk to his sisters and his mom and his best friend and and then I, i followed back up with with norm uh for another interview so but I, I kept being more and more impressed. Every interview I did, I was finding out more about him and, and uh, understanding him more. But then, you know, it was so much information. It, it's it's daunting as a writer. And, and you sit there and you try to capture it. And I, I couldn't find a common thread. And I was beating myself over the head with it. I wrestled for like two days of starting it, deleting it, starting it, deleting it. And then Finally, I just kind of pooped it out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, That's definitely it, not what you did, but I get it. <laughs> it was it was one of the more difficult stories for me to write, just because i I never felt like I had a theme through it all. When when really the the theme was obvious, it was his family. Um, but I was I was trying too hard, and pretty soon I just I just wrote it. Well, and that part came through. You even admit in the piece, and and I love the freedom that we have on at this company and this platform, where you can just write it's you know stylistically in the kind of way where you admit, I'm not quite sure where to start this story, but it doesn't really matter. Right. And then you proceeded right. to go through. If if the listeners haven't read it, it's understanding Norman Powell's grind, how the Trailblazer continues working to keep a promise to his family. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm going to go for this segue, Mr. Katz, out east. You yourself, uh, you know, put your writing hat on the other day, even in a more of a long-form fashion, and and wrote a long piece about Robin Lopez. Uh, the hook man, mild manner Robin Lopez, has become a Wizards low-post superhero. But we didn't think you'd be writing long-form pieces this time of year, you know, with any hint of relevancy about the team that you cover. Uh, take us into your world a little bit, man, and let's let's get back to the playoff talk a little bit right now because the Wizards are are on fire, and, and jokes aside, it's like, man, now we're going to have Russ and, and and Brad in the playoffs, likely. Uh, you know, what, what has gotten into that team out there? Well, Sam, I appreciate it. If I'm going to be relevant, I aspire for it to be shocking. So <laughs> I did, I very not what I said, that. but damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I mean, Robin is just so quirky to watch and he's always had that incredibly strange hook shot. And, and I, I, I had given a call to Seth part now because the, the data on NBA.com of his hook shot is outrageous. He's shooting 66% on hook shots. There it is. Fred's Fred's Wi-Fi moment. Once every show, Jason, (laughs) the the Wi-Fi moment just lost you, man. Uh, Sponsored well, by I'm coming back. I'll I'll start. I'll start over. Okay, go ahead. He he's shooting 66% on hook shots this year, which is by far the best of his career. And he's making the second most hook shots in the league. And it's just kind of this nice microcosm, honestly, for what's happening with the Wizards, where all of these incredibly strange things are going on with them. You know, it makes sense that Russell Westbrook would play well for a stretch. He, he's really turned his season around after a really poor stretch to start the year. And he still has his range where he can be really good or really down. But for the most part, he's played really good basketball for the last month and a half or so. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal is is super consistent. He's just going to give you 30 every night. But Daniel Gafford coming in and just is averaging like 23 and 12 for 36 minutes since they acquired him and they're 10 and one when he's in the lineup, he had four steals and four blocks on Sunday night, uh, you know, and, and them running the offense through Robin Lopez in stretches and them playing a three center rotation, which is outrageous for an NBA team to do just regularly use three centers in their rotation and mixing in Isak Bonga and Garrison Matthews and, it's just a very weird, quirky situation for a team to rattle off 11 or 10 out of 11 after starting off 17 and 32 and doing it in a weird way. And, um, you know, they seem kind of joyous lately. They're, they're, they're fun to watch. They're, they've totally turned around their defense. They're a top 10 defense over the last two and a half months, which, you know, quick talks about how the Blazers kept saying they're going to get better. Same thing with the Wizards. They were bottom five in defense for years. And every year it was like, we're going to get better. And this year they were bottom five again. And then all of a sudden around mid-February, they just start playing better defense out of nowhere. Uh, and Gafford's played a part in that, but it started before they got him. It's uh, it's 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 just a very strange, quirky team that is is playing really good basketball right now. And what a perfect they, beat writer to have to cover a quirky, <laughs> weird, fun team. They had a really, you know, Jay just called you weird, by the way, Fred, just for the record. I I didn't disagree. (laughs) At least he didn't say it was shocking. (laughs) I try to give you some love and you do me like that. (laughs) They had a weird game against the Warriors the other day. You know, you know, I was in that Fred weird world for a day and it was like Steph Curry. Steph Curry was coming in on the, maybe the hottest streak in NBA history, certainly the hottest shooting streak in NBA history. And then he just went absolutely. That's a hot take right there. Will Chamberlain uh, is on line one. Go ahead. I just said shooting streak. 
for sure for three. He's already made the most threes in a month in NBA history. I believe he's at 85, and he still has games to go in April. Um, But he certainly was not hot in Washington. He played maybe his worst game of the season against a starting lineup that was Russell Westbrook, who's not exactly known for his attentive defense. Raul Neto and Bradley Beal was the backcourt. And going into the game, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be another big one for Curry. And then he just like couldn't make an open three suddenly in Washington. And the weird part of the game was the Wizards go up eight, uh, up 18 against Curry. And then the Warriors turn to their second unit, which all season has been like, you know, trying to hold the door every time Steph Curry leaves the floor. Suddenly they're, you know, dominating the Wizards. Steph Curry was a minus 21 in that Wizards game. And the second unit was like a plus 17. Um, the second unit handed an 11 point lead back to uh, Curry with like five minutes left. And then Russell Westbrook went ballistic and the Wizards won. And it was like, you know, along the lines of what Fred's talking about, like, why is this happening? I don't know why it's happening, but the Wizards just won again. I don't know. I feel like the all defense the, is uh, the weirdest part. Yeah, sorry, Sam. The, the defense is the weirdest part. Just the fact that they could turn it around to this degree. They're, they're third or fourth in defense in April. Like it's, it is so unbelievably strange for a team, for a team to jump this the- much. Yeah, without like a ch- real change. Of so there's personnel. hope like, for I the Blazers. Is that, that is that what we're what we're saying here? There's hope <laughs> for Portland. <laughs> and his canner's about to just start locking people up. <laughs> I feel Wait. like all the 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 old head point guards in the league this year got together and and said, "Let's all go remind people that we're not done just yet." You have this Steph Curry, Chris Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook, Kyle Lowry group that you know has showed out to varying degrees, but Fred, can you break down Russ a little bit for me? Because he's certainly in that class where everybody loves to bag on Russ when, when he's the bad Russ versus the good Russ. But during this eight game winning streak, uh, I'm cheating via NBA.com slash stats, but you're talking 22 and a half points, 13 boards and almost 12 assists um, with a, a very, well, turnovers are up at five, but that's an incredible line. Uh, what what has gotten into Russ? You know, it's kind of been building this way for a lot of the year. He was dealing with a quad injury early in the season, and that was certainly something that that hampered him a lot. And you could tell there was a game against Chicago in December. It was about a week into the season where he took 17 shots and 15 of them were outside the paint. He had a 11 or 12 quarter streak where he didn't make a non-garbage time layup out of the half court. For like 12 straight quarters, 11 straight quarters. I mean, it was not the Russell Westbrook that you were used to seeing at all. And so it kind of led everybody to the question, okay, is is he aging or is he hurt? And if he's hurt, how hurt is he? Uh, he was hurt. He was dealing with a quad injury. The Wizards weren't as vocal about it at the time. He's He's clearly recovered from it. He's getting to the paint now. He's attacking more. I think he has more of a range than any other player in the league. Like to where he can he can be the best player on the floor on any given night, and he can be the most detrimental player on the floor on any given night. And he's always kind of been that sort of inconsistent player, not just from night to night, but from minute to minute even. And Slater brings up that Warriors game. He was, I mean, he did go ballistic those last four minutes, but he he was having one of his worst games of the year for the first 44. And then the last four minutes, he he just totally turned Draymond Green fouls out, and he decides, I'm going to the paint every single time. Right. He dominated Golden State in that game. So he's, he's, on the whole, been playing much, much better basketball. He has these games where he decides, you know what, I'm going to go pure point guard, and I'm going to take 11 shots and make seven of them and you know, just run the offense to a T. Uh, and then he still has the games where he goes five of 18 with eight turnovers and just looks like he's he's hurting his team more than he could possibly be hurting the other one. Uh, but it's been a lot more of the positive lately than it's been the negative. And that's been really huge for the Wizards. Like getting good Russell Westbrook is a really good way to start winning more games. I know this is a tough question to answer because we're still doing things remotely and you know it'd be better if you could be in a locker room and talking to Brad Beal specifically. But I wonder, if you look at Brad from the context of the guy who we're constantly asking if he wants out of Washington, the guy who you know continues to tell management, I don't want to go anywhere. Nobody's sitting here trying to say that, hey, the Wizards are now title contenders, but this kind of success... And being relevant again and, you know, and, and having a little fun, even through Zoom, are you getting a kind of a sense of the vibe with Brad? I mean, I have to imagine after 
all the downtimes that he's been through collectively as a with his, you know, with this team, that this is a, a neat stretch for him. I think he's having fun. I I will say that the way Brad, knowing Brad, the way that he tends to view these sorts of things. And, and, you know, I talked about this with him in a piece that Jason and I wrote a couple of months ago where he spoke to Lillard about kind of the concept of loyalty and right. what it means to him. And, and I spoke to Brad about the same thing. And we, we penned a piece about those guys' friendship and kind of the mutual respect they have because of the way they, they kind of approach the game. They approach team building in a very, I think, very similar mindset. And with Brad, he tends to go through the season and then do the evaluating stuff at the end. I think Brad is is always the most optimistic person in the room about the Wizards. He's always been like that. When we would ask him questions about last year being a rebuilding year and being more about development than being about them winning, Brad would say, "Now nah, we're we're much better than you think." Even though the organization was saying this year's about development, and not winning, Brad would say, "No, we're way better than you think." And that didn't matter if it was non the record question; it was not posturing. That was really what he believed. He's just always the most optimistic person in the room about the Wizards. So I don't think Brad really starts to think like that and look back and reflect and figure, okay, what does this mean for the future until the season is over? Uh, but I think he's probably happy in the moment. He was consistently pretty optimistic about this team, even when they were down this year. When I say pretty optimistic, I just mean more optimistic than uh, you know the rest of the world was. So I think he probably feels a little bit of like, I told you so. I told you we're getting there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Mr. Slater, surprisingly, uh, because you're on the pod every week, we don't spend all that much time diving all in on on the Warriors, and and I, I would love to do that. And also, shoot, and to, you know, Jay, to to you know, throw it your way a little bit, I would love. Uh, at some point in this conversation, kind of your filter on even the Warriors situation. I've always found the dynamic between, you know, Steph and the way we talk about his game in, even more interesting in the context of, of Damian. And maybe it's me with my Bay Area roots and, and Damian being an Oakland guy. But like, you know, you know the Warriors story. Um, but but Anthony, let me throw it to you first. These Warriors right now, they're officially going from the plucky little team that is keeping their head above water to doing some good things and, and, and potentially, you know, making a push here in the standings. Um, I hit it on it earlier, but you know, as we sit here doing the pod, they're three games behind Dallas and they've won seven of their last 10 uh, Steph doing incredible things against every team, not named the wizards. Um, what are you seeing there? And then I know this is a little hot takey, but I do, I want to get opinions here. Like, if there is any MVP discussion to be had, I mean, Jokic has, I think, across the board been out front in a major way among the voters. And a recent ESPN story kind of indicated that. That's how I feel. I don't know how you guys see it. But if only for the sake of late season debate, Steph has been doing enough that we got to at least say, what would it take for him to shock the world and wind up on that short list, if not you know, a stunning upset? Uh, how do you see all that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of fuse those two questions together. Um, I think it would take the Warriors getting the sixth seed and, and avoiding the play-in. I just don't see the voters voting an MVP in who 
has to play his way into the playoffs uh, in an elimination scenario. So getting to sixth would, I think, get him to this, you know, the bar of team success to then make people take him serious. And then if they take him serious, look at the numbers, and he will obviously have had a strong finish if they somehow climb to sixth. Um, then, I, you know, he's probably in the conversation, particularly if Denver's sitting there at five. He's head-to-head killed the Nuggets uh, the last two weeks. He had 53 in a win over the Nuggets, and the other day he had 32 in a win over the Nuggets. Plus, you look at the other head-to-head guy, uh, Joel Embiid. He just went into Philadelphia, scored 49, and beat Joel Embiid. So he's kind of had his like Heisman moments the last couple of weeks, but they're still right as of us talking at the 10 seed. Now, you kind of alluded to it. There is a chance for them to climb. You have um, Dallas is now sitting at the six, but they played Dallas on Tuesday in Chase Center with the tiebreaker on the line. Let's say they win that. Um, then it goes from completely unrealistic to go up to six to like semi more reasonable, but Dallas has a pretty easy schedule left. Um, but so do the Warriors. The Warriors, uh, seven out of their last 10 are against the four of the five worst teams in the conference. They have three Pelicans games left, two Thunder games left, a, a Rockets game and a, and a Wolves game left. So there's a lot of wins left on the table. I mean, I think it's I think it's reasonable, particularly if they beat Dallas on Tuesday, for them to go something like nine and two, eight and three, um, and they would just need Dallas to stumble a few times. But they also still have to climb Portland, Memphis, San Antonio. I I mean I I think we can get to some of these other teams. Have you guys seen San Antonio's remaining schedule? I have not. What are they looking at? It they are. I mean, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'll pull it up in a little bit, but, but it's like. Nine road games, all again, like two in Utah, uh, Knicks, Brooklyn, um, Wizards, uh, Miami, and Boston, all on the road. Like those are their nine road games, and Ooh-wee. then they close the season at home. Yeah, they close the season at home with Phoenix. Sun, Sun. Yeah, Phoenix back yeah. to back. Good lord. So it's like, they, like although that's probably a, that's a, probably a resting Suns team. So maybe that. Yeah, potentially. Five, but five ninety nine remaining strength of schedule. Wow, hardest in the league. Yeah. Yeah, so if we're talking about like laying out the most likely scenario to me, ten, San Antonio, I'm almost like they're very likely going to sit in ten. Um, Portland, we can get to. I think their schedule's like you know semi tough, but the way they're playing, I mean that Memphis back to back they just lost really kind of set the stage for for a very muddled situation there. Um, but you know it's again back to the Warriors point. Look, they're playing smaller. James Wiseman's been taken out of the picture, which has allowed them to prioritize youth. Draymond Green is kind of getting his playoff legs. You can see it. He had 19 assists two games ago, 13 assists. He's now fourth in the NBA in assists per game. Um, and then Steph Curry's just still flame throwing. Really, besides this Wizards game, um, he's even through some ankle troubles, he's still kind of grabbing at his ankle. But last night he's just hitting a bunch of threes. I don't, did you see Sam? Did you see much of the game against uh, the Kings? I did not i actually made a rare uh, yeah ironically i was down in the bay I, I was in the car a lot yesterday so i did not see it he he threw in two more just like 35 footers that were just ridiculous switches he's now i think 27 to 57 on 30 footers this year um so it's just i mean he's just playing the warriors into the conversation and they're playing a style a small ball style without wiseman and a veteran style that has um stabilized them particularly defensively uh, and they have a really, really easy schedule left. So, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, all out there for them to go take if Steph Curry can just hold up physically because he feels like he's a little banged up. Jay, I wonder, jumping into the Portland stuff a little bit, but like I alluded to, you know, feel free to hit on the Warriors too. I, I, I'm sitting here listening to Anthony break them down, and I'm thinking about the Blazers and how if you go back to when they played the Warriors in the conference finals, you know, they took great pride in, in getting to that point obviously it didn't go all that well once they got there um and for most of this season like you guys have hit on the Blazers were better than we thought they would be with all the injuries and it was a positive story now you talk about the tides turning the idea that the Warriors given all they've been through are a game and a half different than the Blazers uh it's got to be humbling if I mean again if you're Damian and you're looking at your hometown team Going, man, if ever there was a year where we should have been surging, you know, way well past a team like that. And they're showing some of the heart and some of the togetherness that he probably wishes was happening more in Portland. Uh, You know, how do you see uh, kind of that landscape? Yeah, it's definitely concerning because as Anthony just outlined, all the indicators for Golden State are trending upward and all the indicators for Portland are trending downward. Um, You know, the only good thing that Portland has in its favor is that it owns the tiebreaker 
over Dallas. It owns the tiebreaker over Golden State. It does not own the tiebreaker over Memphis. So, uh, you know, I, I still think with this remaining schedule, again, nine of their 12 are against teams with winning records. Uh, that does not, that, that's not going to fare well for this team, not with the way they're playing, not with the way Lillard is struggling. Uh, you know, I, in their last nine games, Lillard has shot 40% or better than 40% in one of them one of the last nine and you know, his big mojo in the fourth quarter, you know, that's kind of his thing. It, it's completely disappeared. He's been, uh, you know, like under 30% shooting in the fourth quarter in his last four or five games. So uh, things are not trending well for this team. And I, I, I still think, I think they're going to drop down to nine. I, I think golden state probably catches them. Uh, I think Memphis uh, catches them. So they're looking at their worst case scenario, which was what Dame and CJ wanted to avoid, which was being in the play in tournament because they felt last year in the bubble and they had to uh, grind it out and, and play Memphis in the play in play in game that they were just totally beat by the time they got to the first round uh, series against the Lakers. So they wanted to avoid that. And one of the reasons that they wanted to avoid, they wanted to clinch six is so Dane could get rest. He could take games off. Um, but, you know, I was having this conversation with him last night. We were texting after the game. I was like, I think you need to be healthy. You know, this, this team's not going to go anywhere unless you are at your peak level. And you're not going to be at your peak level unless you take some games off and heal all these nagging injuries. But he feels this uh, pressure that if he doesn't play, they're going to sink, you know, to ninth or tenth. And uh, so I, I think he's really in an awkward position where he feels like he needs to be there for the team to give them the best chance to win. But in the long term, big picture, it's going to hurt them because I, I don't think they can even think of competing in a playoff series when he's not at 100 percent. Well, we, we hit on it earlier telling Fred that, you know, we are constantly asking about Bradley Beal's future. And I know you've gotten this question, you know, a million and one times, but it's hard to not hear you break that down and mention big picture and have that question pop up again. I mean, if this does go as South as it seems like it might at the end of this year, you mentioned the idea of Neil maybe being open to discussing a McCollum trade. Where do you, you've got such a good feel on Damian in general and have covered him for so long now. Just where do you think his mindset is at? Cause he has taken such great pride and being loyal to Portland, uh, you know, but the cynics uh, among us in the crowd are always going to say there's a there's a kind of a breaking point for everybody. Uh, how do you see that? I don't sense any change in Dame's loyalty to Portland. Um, and I think if they do make a change this year, like uh, I, whether it be roster or coaching, I think he will want to see it out and see how it plays. But you know, I, I think they're one one iteration away from him considering maybe leaving Portland. You know, I, I think he might say, "Let's give it one more shot," whether it be with a new coach or a new core or whatever. Um, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't know why, but people just don't seem to really buy into how loyal he is to Portland. But it's a real thing; it, it really is. You know, he lives here year round. His whole family practically lives here year round. And he has I mean, just the way he is. It's the way he's built is he wants to do it his way with his people. He doesn't want an easy way out. He doesn't want. Uh, and I think that's how he would look at it. If he left is that he would be a failure here and it would be a reflection upon him, even though it's not obviously, but uh, it's something that's very dear to him. He wants to win and he wants to win in Portland. Can I ask Jason about the Grizzlies? That's an odd transition. Um, But, you know, as we're talking about this play in landscape and, you know, Dallas does seem to be rising and solidifying themselves at six. You worry about Portland tumbling, the Warriors rising Memphis, has had, I would say, surprising season. They're probably you. You feel the most optimistic, or of the of the teams in that mix, you're, they're probably um, 
they've had the most encouraging season to get to that point without Jaron Jackson the entire season. And this is what I wanted to get to. Jaron Jackson returned. Um, you know, he's played now. He looked games. really good too. He's a, yes. Yeah. That's I, I, you know, it, it, it didn't take too long, but I went on synergy and watched every Jaron Jackson possession because it took about, like I said, about 25 minutes of his entire season to this point. Cause it's two games. He went 10 of 14 against Portland the other day. He could change this mix. Um, if he's that good, um, they could be the team that, uh, I don't not, I don't necessarily think they're going to rise above, uh, Dallas, but they basically just, just staked claim over Portland with that, you know, double win in Portland. And I believe they play in Memphis, uh, this week. Yep. What did you think of how they looked? I want to get maybe a little bit on Jaron Jackson and, and are they, are they the best team right now? Seven through 10, they might be if, if Jackson's as good as he looked. They might be, I, I was really impressed with them. You know, Jackson was so good against the Blazers. And, you know, the thing right now is they're, he didn't play the second game because they're doing the injury management thing. So I think they're slowly working him back in. Um, but Memphis plays so quick. They got up and down the court. Uh, they had Portland looking dizzy. I mean, the, the transition points were, uh, were just off the charts. And I love John Moran. I'd be, I wish I could watch him more, uh, but he he torched the Blazer guards. He he got to the rim at will, um, set people up, uh, and then basically Stott said last night that anytime Jaw was in the game, he could not have cancer in the game. He, you know, they went back to the can't play cancer uh, because of the pick and rolls. He just couldn't guard him. So they were playing uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson basically at center to to combat the pick and roll of uh, of Memphis. So. I think Memphis is really solid. They play hard. Dylan Brooks is a gamer. Uh, Valachunas returned last night. He was a problem for him. So uh, I think it's a really nice team. Probably you probably look at their outside shooting as maybe a a big weakness. Um, But I would agree with you, Anthony. I, I would say Memphis and Golden State are probably the two best of those uh, teams in the play in scenario right now. Definitely trending upward, like yeah. you said, and that's that. That's kind of the main thing. We're they've also yeah, they they've defended really well all year without Jaron Jackson. Now you add Jackson to the mix, you get athleticism and rim protection right there. I mean, that's that's a really nice extra element for them, even if he's only like ninety percent of what you might expect out of him. Like that's he's he's tremendously helpful as a modern big man and is really going to help their defense, which I. I has kind of been teetering top 10 all year. Like they, they could be a legitimately imposing defensive team. Taylor you, Jenkins won't be on the short list of coach of the year candidates with some of the different stories that have happened this year, but, but he certainly deserves some love for the job he's done out there. I like Xavier Tillman too, for them. I was like, what, who is this guy? And he gave them great minutes in both games against Portland. Uh, you know, it's little finds like that off the bench that, I think really can elevate a team uh, like Memphis. They've drafted really well the last few years. I mean, obviously the Morant pick is the home run, but Brandon Clark, um, I believe was like, he might've been all NBA rookie second team last year, but you know, they got him in a uh, reasonable place in the draft. And like you mentioned, Tillman, Bain, they they're deep. They're, they're the deepest of these teams for sure. Um, and then, yeah, you add Jackson and, you know, suddenly your one, two punches back potentially. We'll see how Jackson looks, you know, over the long run, but, um, they got a nice future too. Yep. Yep. Hey, you want to, you want to know one other rookie coming back that we should mention, although Jaron Jackson's not a rookie in the play in mix, um, LaMelo ball should be back soon, which will juice up that East play in mix. So I'm excited. The East, the East play in mix is, is actually kind of fun once you get over its depressingness. Yeah, it's it's, it's Lamelo Ball is incredibly fun. That if you end up fun. with Miami at number seven, the team that won the conference having to play its way into the playoffs is fun. Similar vibes for if the Celtics end up at number seven. Westbrook and Beal in a playing tournament that's fun. Indiana's not as fun. Miles Turner's hurt and. They're they they've had a disappointing season compared to where they. They're like kind of the Portland of the East, right? We're talking about Portland's kind yeah. of like 
depressing descent that's a little bit like Indy. Yeah, but the East the East play in is is fun. Maybe this totally goes against my sentiments about the play in in general last week, but the East the East play in crew is 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 pretty fun. It's pretty amazing that we're not talking about the Knicks at all in the play in tournament because we're all like, yeah, the Knicks they're way too good for this conversation. The the basically the the I middle to the bottom, <laughs> the middle to the bottom of the East is 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 pretty chaotic and I actually think it's it's pretty fun. It's not great. It is. But it's so, it's enjoyable. So you, you see what's happening, Sam. We have convinced Fred how great the play in turns. I know. Yeah, he's used the word no, fun. No, word this fun is like five times. Apparently unless is, you don't like fun. <laughs> Fred Katz, might you know not what like this fun. is? Maybe this, this is, is why he doesn't like it. This is basketball beat writing Stockholm syndrome. When you when you cover a team that loses 50 games each year, you you have to convince yourself that things are fun to make it through the season. And that's that's what this is. Fun, fun, fun. The Wizards are fun. The uh I texted Fred recently Slater and asked him if he was going to cover a championship team or something of that nature and he and he wrote back. He says, "Well, if they can get past the Knicks in the conference finals, I don't know what what world we're living in here, but it is fun <laughs> and it's weird." And Slater, I don't know what adjective we're going to put on you. Um, but gentlemen, I'm going to let you bounce. This has been fun, even though Fred doesn't like, you know, things of that nature. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you. We will do it again next week. Thank you to Jason Quick, who had to bounce on all things Blazers. Always a must read. Uh, That was neat. And and boy, things are dark in Portland, but we'll see how that turns out. Slater, things are pretty bright down in the Bay. I might head that way this week to see how they look for myself, but uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Appreciate you. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.